0: Good evening, everyone.
1: First of all, I would like to say thank you for joining US Indonesia Online
0: BitUp. My name is Ben and I'll be your host for the next one hour. And welcome to Dr. Yunis Sari and Dr.
1: Jennifer Tepes. Um, this is your time, Dr. Jane. Hi. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is uh Jen, you can call me Jen. I'm Dr. Jen Tavis and I'm based in
0: Minneapolis
1: in Minnesota. I would like to thank everyone for taking the time out of your busy Friday schedule, even if I think all of us are um, cooped up in our homes. But I still want to thank you for joining us today. And before I start sharing my presentation, I want to give a shout out to everyone in Indonesia. Um, Forgive me if I butcher the pronunciation, but salamat malam to all of you. Good um, evening for everyone in Philippines. Good good morning um, for one of my colleagues, Kim Johnson, who's um, bright up and early um, trying to listen to our presentation also. i um, like to shout out to one of my foster brothers who are online today from the 303rd Infantry Brigade um, of the Philippine Army. Um, so, good evening. Um, first off, I would like to give a little bit of introduction um, of myself, so you all get to know me. But before any of that, this is a disclaimer that my presentation today does not reflect the views and opinions of my employer. Um, it's a little bit of intro about me. Um, as you know, I, I hail from Philippines. I'm, I'm based in the United States right now, and I've been here for about 15 years. Um, I went to school um, in the States, but I finished my undergrad education in in Manila and um, in terms of my uh, career track record i worked for four years over four years with honeywell Um, and then i proceeded to work for veritas um, which was previously owned by semantic it's an information protection and solutions company Um, back at honeywell i was working on industrial automations and home automation Um, and then i moved to retail um, digital retail specifically with target for two years and um, since 2018 I've been a part-time professor with Kent State University School of Information. And um, and I'm also now the director for research um, customer experience research at Best Buy. Um, so for those of you who have been to Canada, um, the United States or some parts of Mexico, um, Best Buy is a retail corporation um, specializing in electronics. Right. Um, so I'm, you know, home for me is both here, um, but my heart still belongs in Philippines. Philippines. Um, I am one day, three hours away from home. Um, and uh, home is always close to me, especially during this time of a pandemic. Um, I was born and raised in a very small town in uh, southern Philippines. Um, I was born with like all these tall mountains around me. And the greenery that um, is absent right now in Minnesota because we still have snow. Um, but I spent my um, academic years in the sprawling city of um, Metro Manila, Makati City, um, specifically. So I do have um, I do have a lot of background both in um, urban and a very rural uh, type of setting, and I think that's that's very helpful in terms of um, rounding up uh, my perspectives in terms of Um, experience design, especially the topic that we're covering right now. Right, so my interest about inclusive design before we go to the academics part of it um, is very personal. Um, This is a picture of my family during um, my grandpa's 90th birthday. He's the one circled um, in the middle. Um, He passed away last year, in, in October of last year. Um, But I started getting interested in inclusive design when I observed some of the struggles that my grandfather um, was going through uh, when using uh, certain products. But my grandfather is not really someone who struggled with technology. He's very interested in technology. He would have, when he was alive, he would have the latest iPhones, um, as you can see on the photo on the left. And the photo on the right is myself and my cousins. And this is a photo that was taken by our grandfather um, during our last outings out of town uh, trips with him. So he's not really um, an older adult who doesn't know how to use technology. But one of the um, sad and very candid experiences that I had with him was this, right? This was a time when he was trying to pack his stuff and um, trying to use a simple product as a padlock as a TSA-approved lock that doesn't require a key, and it only needs a number combination um, to open it up uh, for his suitcase. But I realized that, you know, he he remembers the combination of his lock, but since my grandfather started having problems with his hands already, um, it was harder for him to turn the the numbers, the dials on the lock. So it was a struggle for him. It took him several minutes just to think, just to um, get it right, get get things aligned. So um, here is a user, right? My grandfather is a user, is a customer, is a consumer, who, um, who has the ability to pay and buy this product, and obviously it's a product that fulfills his needs, right? People who, who travel, people who have suitcases, um, obviously need a padlock like this so, so they don't lose the key. And obviously the product like this actually fulfills a need. It's not a bad product. But the problem is it has forgotten to include a certain segment of our society that might have a difficulty using it. And so that's the topic of our conversation today. There is a mismatch in this type of scenario. So a mismatch happens when a person or people um, wants to use a product. And in your case, I think most of you are working on digital products, like graphics, apps, software, and other digital experiences. And it could also be physical, just like the padlock example that we have. It could be a space. It could be an office. It could be a mall or department store. But if there's a need and there's a person who has a need, And then we have products but then there's a mismatch between the need and the products that we're offering then we are forcing people to adapt themselves to make an object work so in this image you can see a user who needs this product struggling just to use that object um, if you're curious to learn more about this topic, about mismatch and about inclusive design, I have some recommendations on books. I can uh, send a list to Eunice, but one of this would be The Mismatch by Kat Holmes. I, I would really recommend you to check it out. <clears throat> now, why is it important for us to look at this mismatches of things around us? People like us who are in product design, space design, I heard someone who's in um, interior design earlier, who's interested in product design too. Um, Even if you're designing uh, physical spaces like a room or um, a house, for example, um, we are very important parts of the society because we're the ones who get to determine who can participate and who is left out. So in this case, the designers from, I think this is a Swiss Army um, company who designed this uh, padlock. I know they are good people. They are very intelligent um, and very smart product designers, but unintentionally they excluded my grandfather and people like him into using their product. And that's not a good thing. It's our responsibility to make sure everyone in our society is able to, to be included and to be able to use the product that they need. And that's the spirit of inclusive design. So there's a lot of academic examples or maybe more technical examples of the term, but this talk today, and you can ask me later, you can ask uh, Eunice for my contact information if you want a more academic and scientific explanation. But what I want you to take away from our talk today is inclusive design is a way of designing products, be digital or physical product that we tell everybody that they can join. The point of designing and developing products is to enable everybody to participate in the society. So when we try to define inclusion or inclusive design, sometimes it's a hard concept to grasp, right? Who do we include? How do we um, enumerate all of these um, different subgroups? So in some ways, we flip the question around. Sometimes it's just easier to define what exclusion is. What is the opposite of the word inclusion? That's that seems so elusive. So when we define in exclusion, it is when someone is left out. Um, and you need please help me translate this in Bahasa. But um, you know in Tagalog, you know, in exclusion means may mga taong hindi na isali. In short, inclusive design means. It's when you do not leave anyone out. Lahat dapat kasali. So I'm going to go through um, quickly some of the examples. For examples, um, for digital design or sometimes even physical products, there are individuals with color limitations. I think in, in a more um, lay language, we would call this color blind, um, but the correct term would be color limited individuals. So when we're designing products, there are some certain parameters that we need to pass. So here's an example from just a smash, Smashing Magazine um, link. And it's also here on the right uh, bottom right uh, part of this slide. These are examples of when we have a text and we have a background color and the size of the text and when it passes or fails. And then you can see in digital product design that then sometimes we use a background image and then we use a text in front of it this is a bad example right and i'll show you a good example just in a bit so a good example of it would be you know the higher contrast so your readers or viewers are able to read the text that you're trying to show and they're still able to enjoy a little bit the image that you're trying to um, to show in the background So in this case if you design products like this then you're also including those who have color limitations in our society now um another example of a group that we always have to remember to include would be visual uh individuals with visual impairment right um people who are might may be blind partially blind or other uh, forms of visual impairment so um this image is just showing you an example of a person presenting like me um, in person, of a PowerPoint slide, for example. Usually, you know, good presentations would include pictures, um, and then sometimes they are funny pictures or very um, emotionally provoking pictures that we're trying to show our audience. But then imagine um, if there is a blind person in the audience and they could not see, right? As a presenter, <clears throat> you might not be designing at that point, but you should be able to describe verbally. The images that you're trying to show, so people who are listening and watching you, or um, listening to you, who might not be able to see your slides, are also able to join the activity, or just the emotion, or the reactions that you're generating with your audience. Now we'll go to um, we'll go to an industry or a domain that um, everybody sees, right? It's fashion and retail. All of us are wearing clothes. Um, some of us might be admiring some models. Um, but, you know, in this image, for example, we have the very traditional um, Caucasian, um, Western models that are all tall and all skinny. Um, is this an example of uh, an, inclus- an inclusive product? Um, is this a designer or a retailer or a fashion company actually trying, It is actually trying to include um, all the members of the society? Can they actually sell these clothes to those of us who are not as tall as these models who are not who are also not as skinny as them. Now design of physical spaces. So um, here, this is not me, but it could also be like me, right? So whenever I go to a department store or a grocery store, I cannot reach the things that are on top of the shelves. Is that good design? Right? What is the goal of, of having a store or having shelves? Um, is it just to display the product or do you really want to sell the product? So what are we excluding in terms of these? You're excluding people like myself, who are not a stall uh, to, to reach the things at the top of the shelves. But the other aspects that we also have to consider is that there are people who are in wheelchair, there are people who are older who might be using a cane to walk. And there are people who um, have other physical limitations that are not able to just reach and um, you know grab the products on at the top of the shelves. Now, there are also other innovations, and I put that in air quotes, in web experiences now that um, they look innovative, but they're really centered around those who can see. But they're not really necessarily considering people who might not have the ability to see, or blind people. So this is an example of one of our competitors. Um, You can see it on the left-hand side. um, And this is an experience uh, which was, I think, which they were trying out. I'm not sure if it's live right now, but they're trying out a new visual way to shop, right? For, For someone like us who can see, it is an awesome experience because all you have to do is click on the designs of products that are interesting to you and the algorithm would show it up so you can view all the designs that might be uh, matching the interior that you're trying to get for your home. But the point is, what if I'm a blind shopper? Do I also get to enjoy this awesome innovation of an interaction experience? Probably not, right? Because how do blind people use the web? Blind people use the web using the text descriptions, um, that, um, that is built in, uh, with accessibility standards on the web experience do, yes, they can hear it, but do we give them the same amount, the same level, the same level of beautiful experience as we're giving the sighted people? And <clears throat> now we go back to older adults and we think of my grandfather, right? What are the needs? Um, of a person, nine year old, he was nine year old at this time. What are the needs of the older members of our society that we are not addressing, right? We are looking at these groups of people right now as if they are somebody else. But one thing that we should all try to learn and remember is that we're all gonna get there, right? So, um, and as we, old, uh, as we grow old and as we age, we're also gonna be part of the people who might have difficulty in, um, mobility will be <clears throat> one of those people who have dexterity issues, our, our eyesight will also decline, our hearing will also decline. And so if you look at things or, or people that you would want to include in the society, it's not just a number, it's not a small segment of the society. Think of that as a, an even bigger number and an even bigger number as time progresses. And so this is a picture of children in a playground. I want to show this to you because I want to remind you that as product designers, as um, experienced designers and experienced researchers, and as scholars, <clears throat> and it's just people who are interested in learning about these things. We have the power, we have a big power to tell, to tell everyone in the society that they can either join us in playing in the playground or not join us and they can't play with us. So if we are not dealing with the mismatches, it's like telling someone, sorry, you cannot play with us. And that's not a good thing. So I just want to clarify with you that I never claim to be an expert on any topic. I think, um, you know, I I think we all have to have a dose of humility, um, even if we have a PhD or been working on it for some time um there's always a lot of things to learn so i don't think to be an expert on this topic but i am in the process of learning more about it and i built a vision and philosophy for my team around it because i do believe that this is the way to go so this talk um consider this talk as a gentle nudge for you and for all of us to remember everyone who's left out and it's my invitation for all of you to be a part of the journey because this is not a thing yet right this is something that we still need to remind everyone it should not be but we still need to remind everyone to consider every every uh to consider everybody um, when they're designing products and it's a challenge especially if you rethink how we do research but why should we care let's look at the numbers first this numbers is just based on um, the United States uh, Census, and I would encourage all of you to kind of find the parallel numbers um, in the countries that you're in right now, in Philippines, in Indonesia, in Australia, and probably in Malaysia, um, wherever you are right now. Right now, the, the latest census data, at least, that, we, that I have when I was preparing this presentation, one out of five Americans could be considered um, as someone who has a disability in one way or another that's one out of five people in the population it also means it's around 20 percent of the total population of the united states and in numbers that's about 56.7 million people and that's just people with disabilities that's a big number and so i want to show you that statistics because whenever we work with companies um that are not yet open-minded into considering being inclusive of people with disabilities people with limitations or even people of different racial backgrounds or language that we speak anything that um, that talks about diverse diversity and today we're only looking at disabilities and that's already 56 7 million people so if we're not looking at these sections of the population we're actually excluding millions and millions of people into using the products that we are designing so um, in the you know in one of these uh, references that we have about 20 million people have severe disabilities in the united states alone and they are between ages 25 and 64. imagine that number ballooning even more um, as we expand that age set And um, mind you, this is only for those with severe disabilities. It doesn't even count those with minor or less than severe um, disabilities. But just this group, just this 20 million people between 25 to 64 years old in the United States, they take home about $400 billion in gross income. So in some cases, when trying to argue, even if we don't want it to boil down in finances or in monetary value but in the case that we really have to make a case for it it's a big number it's a big business to consider to be inclusive of people and there's money there right so that means you're not only doing good um, as a designer um to make the society better but you know it's actually a financially sound decision for a company to be to consider inclusive design so again I would like to reiterate that the stats that I showed I showed you here that's only the number for those with disability. Inclusive design goes beyond people with disability, right? I want to reiterate that fact. So inclusive design just like that, my example of my grandfather, it also includes age groups. It it includes race and ethnicities that we are that's being inclu- excluded right now. It includes body size, shape, and, um, you know, I I doubled size there. I'm sorry. And then we also have to consider income level and and educational level. So here's a challenge for you, um, researchers, designers, and just the general public. I've shown this quote earlier already, but for you who are part of designing products, experiences, physical spaces, digital experiences. These are touch points of our society and you get to determine who can participate and who is left out. So when we think about research and designing products, it's always important to talk to and consider people who will be using the product. One of the things that we should consider and we should ask ourselves would be, who are our participants? Who do we determine to participate in designing? Who do we ask these questions? How diverse is our set of participants? How do we ensure that we are being inclusive when we're conducting research, when we iterate on the versions of our product? How does this inclusive design thinking affect our entire existing process? It has a big impact. I admit that. So one of the things that you should ask yourself would be, Um, especially, you know, and I think we're a globalized society. There are many people speaking different languages in the countries that we live in. So did we consider non-native speakers of our language when we are designing products? Did we also consider people who only speak our language when we're designing products? Um, in the Philippines, for instance, we have the, we have the tendency to, um, put things in English all the time. So, um, in that way, we're also excluding. Um, our own, um, our own native speakers of our languages and um, and dialects. Have we considered those with impaired mobility, those who have problems with movement, when we're designing uh, physical spaces? Have we thought about people with limited or no vision when we're designing visual products, websites, apps, graphic design? How about those with impaired hearing? Those who cannot hear enough when we're designing auditory alerts. You know, are the sounds of alarms or the tones of our phones, the clicks that we do? Have we considered across physical size, gender, age group, income, education and race? In terms of research methodology, does our method account for the abilities of our participant? Sometimes we have stimuli or we have we show things to our participants, but showing means that participants have to see it. <clears throat> So, do we have variations of those um, in our method that would allow us to talk to and gather feedback from differently abled participants and then you know when we do research especially for global research you know, i used to work for other companies that have presence across the world so when i talk to those people and i don't speak their language i try to make sure that i have a local um, researcher or interpreter with me So they can understand exactly and I can um, be given the feedback that they exactly need. Sometimes the emotions that you want to express, even if you can speak a second language, does not quite translate um, if it's not your native tongue. So are we considering different languages when we gather this feedback uh, from participants who might not be speaking the primary language that we speak? But you know, all of this, it makes our job harder, right? Why can't we just do it the way we're doing right now because it works anyway. And so it is still rev- revolutionary. It should not be anymore, but sadly it is. So this talk is really Like, you know, I, I, I hope you're learning something, but this is also an invitation for you to join me, to join us who are in this road already. And we should never forget that, you know, it's just baby steps. And the first step is to just represent, representation matters. So how do we do this at scale, right? How do I translate this better? At scale means how do we, um, how do we do inclusive design without all these uh, intricate steps all the time, right? How do we connect regularly with people um, in different groups to be inclusive? Um, with less logistics and preparation as possible. Maybe you can connect with local groups. Maybe you have some local organizations, like um, organizations for the blind, organizations for, you know, just uh, maybe racial uh, organizations in a society that you can connect regularly so you gather feedback from them. Or you can create participant panels so you don't have to recruit. Um, recruitment tends to um, tends to last longer especially for specialized um, demographics so if you have panels you can just go back to these groups um, on a regular basis and still ensure that you're gathering feedback from them the other option that you have would be to consult with experts in the field and to make sure that you're just following you're following you know, all the standards in diversity, inclusion, and accessibility. And experts are very important, especially if you want to make sure that you're using the right language. Language is very important. Um, sometimes we use terms that are derogatory or, um, or oppressive um, for the people, even if we're not intending to do it that way. <clears throat> Another way is for you to just build a knowledge repository. And in other words, just build a library of information. Right, when if if and when you need to um, share some uh, materials for this talk, include that in your files or bookmark it or, or what have you. Um, get books in your library to make sure that you have something to read or to refer to if, if and when you need it. And then lastly, for those of you like me who are in UX research or CX research or UX design, um, build research plan, script or templates and share it with your team. Um, so each member of your team do not does not have to redo it each and every single time you know every minute every second counts when we're trying to scale a process and so i'm showing you a picture right now of this convoluted wires i mean i always have this nightmare whenever i'm lazy to put my wires um, neatly and so i'm showing this because inclusive design is not neat right you know, I'm, I'm here talking to you and it's just like upended your world, right? You think you're doing research really well with proper sampling and all that, but now I'm introducing all these different groups that you need to consider when researching and designing products. Um, it is it is a mess, <clears throat> but, but it's a mess that we really have to untangle. And, you know, it's a mess that we have to untangle if we want our society to be neatly and flowing this way. And we might not really achieve... Um, things to be as neat as this. It might be forever like this, but it's a mess that you should be excited and um, feel motivated to untangle with with us, with me. So the next few slides would be just giving you some examples of um, inclusive design that's present right now in some of our products and um, services in our society. Going back to the fashion and retail industry, Um, Here's an example of a more diverse set of models. If you remember the image that I'd shown earlier um, with you know very similar looks type of models, here you can see models of different uh, culture and ethnic groups. You can see models of different sizes, um, different skin tone, Um, you can see an Asian model here too, um, uh, a model with African-American heritage. So um, the fashion industry and retail has changed and you know the first thing that we we see it are images and pictures and that's just the start of it but like i said earlier representation matters it's important for us to see someone who could look like us in the things that we see in the world around us and then it it goes into function right i think this is adidas or nike um it's a you know it's a sporting goods it's a sporting athletic wear company who who already have um, realized that there's a market in different body types and body size um you're not only trying to sell your product in people who are already fit right you want to be able to sell your product in people with different sizes and then in makeup and in beauty industry right we start seeing a wider range of um, products that cater to different skin tones. I'm pretty tan myself. And so, um, you know, this is a need that's being addressed by these uh, product designers and these companies. You know, we no longer have to have the same skin tone whenever we want to wear makeup. We can, have, um, we can have makeup that actually matches um, our skin tones. And then there's this piece. And I'm going to uh, start playing a video after this. Um, And I hope you can hear it, but if the sound is not good, I think um, Eunice and Ben can share the link to you um, earlier. I've worked with this company in the past, and I I was a little bit part of the product in in the inclusivity campaigns um, of the company, and at least on the digital side. And I want you to watch this on how the effect of representation is. A simple poster like this inside a department store um, had a huge impact in the life in the life of this little boy and his family there might be an ad Right. And so um, we're nearing the end of my presentation, and I'm showing you this screen again, um, reminding you of the children. And it's not only children, right? The world is a big playground. And this big playground is composed of people with different characteristics, different abilities, different racial groups, different age groups. And as product designers, um, researchers, experience designers, and as just individuals, whatever your profession is, who are part of this society. Let's all be a part of the movement that says everyone can play with us. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thank you so much for a very interesting presentation, Jen. It's really like an eye-opening for all of us. And um, yeah, so I would like to open like an opportunity for questions like, can you please uh, share first probably on the chat? Bisa di-share dulu di chat, ditulis di sana. Ya, yeah, nanti kalau misalnya mau uh, kita baca, mau tanya lebih lanjut boleh, silakan. Uh, kalau mau langsung ngomong, mungkin bisa uh, langsung ngomong aja, nggak ada masalah, ya. Yeah. Um, so, uh, while we are waiting for people to ask question, I have a question with you. Um, you got a really good example like uh, the reason why you the first reason when you started your um uh you know like uh, this inclusive design was from your family. So I see myself like the uh, Philippines is quite the same like in Indonesia, but I don't know mm-hmm. like uh, how much things have changed like uh, since like uh, the last time like uh, when you were in the Philippines how inclusive design has been adopted since then.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think much has changed. Um, I, I I go home a lot, so I was just there for Christmas. Um, January was when I got back. So, um, but unfortunately, I think it's just a starting in the movement. I think we're at the stage of awareness right now, and if there are some improvements in inclusive design, it's starting on um, it's starting on the digital experiences because we have like accessibility standards in the web and then you know the design standards are pretty much standardized across so at least someone who is blind who's trying to um, use a web app or a website um, is now able to use it with their screen readers so I think that's a good start Um, for physical spaces I think Um, you know, I I, I would like to correct myself that probably physical spaces was one of the first ones even back in the day, right? You have ramps for people who are in wheelchair. Um, and then, you know, aside from stairs, you have, uh, elevators that has to be a part of, like, the building code and building standards. Mm -hmm. Um, but those are more on accessibility, right? Like, you're providing access for people to get in and, um, to join a physical space. Um, but web would be the first one, um, that has changed. Um, I think their representation, um, is still needed. I see, I see a lot of like, um, improvements in terms of, you know, even in the modeling industry and in retail spaces right now in Philippines, but they're still, it's still, um, lagging a little bit in terms of physical and, you know, physical representation, um, in our ads, for example, right, you still see the same look. Of models Um, there's some plus-size models that are around but I cringe every single time um, that I see just you know the supermodel look that's being represented right I'm pretty sure the 100 or so million Filipinos don't all look like supermodels so you know if you're designing products and you're trying to design a campaign maybe rethink your strategy for a little bit not everybody would aspire to look that way well that's quite
0: interesting Um, especially uh, there is a question here like from Willis. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh, thank you for the thoughtful presentation. I'm working in a very young company, 4 years old. What is your thought on the approach of design, how to prioritize the list of features we want to have? Let's say in a website when the company priority is to get things run first for market fit.
1: Yeah, um, and Willis, thanks for asking that question. I think this—that's a valid question, especially for a very young company who's trying to um, who's trying to run very lean. So I think the priority that you have, uh, and I don't think in terms of a website design, um, I don't think being inclusive puts more hurdles for you. So, for example, when you're putting visual design and just the layout of a product just incorporate that in the process, right? There are, you know, there are free or um, just cheap um, checkers, visual checkers to make sure that, you know, your, um, your visual design, the colors that you're using for the website um, can be seen by people with disability maybe that's one thing that we can share with you. Like you can even just throw a picture of your, your design and it'll show you if it's a problem for certain visual limitations. And then there's existing web standards. I think, you know, even if you are working and live in Indonesia right now, um, web standards in other countries and by other companies, those are shared. Those are not proprietary information. And those you can use as guidelines for yourself. So, um, I do think, and to answer your question directly, right, um, you can still prioritize the features, the, the MVPs, the main features that your company wants to put out, but it doesn't mean that inclusive design is an added feature. Those should be built in, right? So for example, if just your feature will be like, have a search, right? So, um, you know, it's it just making sure that the search box is big enough. So for people with um, with, with dexterity issues can click your buttons, or So for people can see, those are not necessarily an additional hurdle for you to do. Just make sure that's incorporated in your process. But but I do know that, you know, the second layer for your question would be, right, we have to have like um, a web design that's catering to screen readers. That's an added training that uh, people should have. And I would like to invite you to try to look for training that you can find on the web, that's probably um, accessibility group. You know, in, in, in most companies, there is a certain group that just deals with accessibility. And I know smaller companies don't have the ability to, you know, hire a group like that. Um, so that's probably one of the later steps that you can do. Um, but uh, for standard uh, screen readers, um, they can usually, the screen readers can usually just read off of a website or an app that you have just to make sure that the layout of your product at least follows uh follows a structure that makes sense for the screen readers to be able to read it correctly.
0: Well, I hope it that answer your question. Is that uh has he answered your question, Willis? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, I I'm uh trying to contem- contemplate on it. Uh thank you for the answers, Jennifer. <laughs> okay, so thanks for that. Yeah, that's great. I mean like uh I really agree with what you said before it's um uh, Yes uh do you have any question Ah okay Yeah uh I think it's right what you said before it's about the baby step I mean like um it's a big thing and how do we start like uh, we have to start mm-hmm. at least uh you know what we can handle right like because everybody yes. has a different way of thinking and especially the business like uh, sometimes uh they might not mm-hmm. be uh you know aware about the situation so it is really right like um, we do what we can do and uh like um for example in our um training for example we teach people how to like uh, match the color and as how like uh, the things mm-hmm. that you said before how to use the different tools because even though sometimes it's not really uh For us who can see clearly, it's not really matters, Mm -hmm. but it it matters for some people who do not see at all. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes, like, you know, like when we're talking about baby steps, one of the
1: probably easiest baby steps that we can do is just to make sure that, you know, we're in the process of designing, right? Um, And you talk to people, get feedback get the reactions from people with different abilities. So, um, you know, one of the members of my team, Kim, is present and one of the things that I keep on reminding them is like, even if you only have a total of 10 people that you wanna mm-hmm. get feedback on, and if you only have just one person there who might have problems in seeing or maybe have some sort of hearing disabilities or some some um, speech um, impairment, you don't have to like try to recruit each and every one it's you know in a perfect world i would encourage you to do that yeah. but if you don't have the resources even just one of those mm-hmm. right let's start there even mm-hmm. just one of those and make sure you hear from them because right like if if you're like me you i can hear i can see you know i'm still functioning with, with all my senses right now. So I don't really know how a person who is blind or who is hard of hearing, I don't really know their experience, right? But' it's, that's why it's important for us to ask them the question. While you're using my product, as someone who has um, you know who has some visual impairment or hearing impairment or what have you, what are the struggles that you are having while you're using this? how, are we, what, how am I going to improve it? based on that feedback that i'm hearing from that person
0: Mm. so uh i have another question here like uh, when you said before uh physical uh limitation Mm -hmm. right um uh maybe it's not just the eyes but it can also be like uh, people on the wheelchair or Mm -hmm. uh, people maybe like uh, they're not really hot uh not not very high and something like that not really Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um do you think like uh uh what about the not the physical limitation but the mental limitation right
1: um and that's a really interesting question in and that's still like one of the things that i that keeps me up at night too right so there there is uncertain la- different layers to that question and it depends on where you are in the world right mm. so mental um mental limitations and even like emotional right um type of limitations those are part of um forms of disability also. Another layer for that is people who have immune disorders, right? Those are considered disabilities also. People with diabetes, people with um, MS, for example. Um, Those are uh, unseen. Those are disabilities that we cannot see um, in our naked eye. They're not physical at all. How are we including them? So. there's the privacy layer for that you know that's just harder to recruit for example because you know there's at least in the united states there's some layers of rules that you have to consider for for you to even ask that question from your participants but but when given proper permission and within the within the uh, parameters of what is legal And then if we can ask and recruit for those participants we should also recruit them and ask them the same questions right so um and you know those are important for like um because we also design or make products that people eat right or or even like if you're designing you know i worked in in another retail company before as you all know in my intro um and then we sell um edible products food for example right And so how would you design a web experience that would allow people with diabetes, for example, to find a food item that would cater to their condition? You know, so that's, that's an example, um, mental, and that's your original question earlier, right? People with, um, mental disability, right? So you, sometimes we also have to think about the caregivers for those people. And right? so um, individuals like that live with family members or maybe um, healthcare um, caregivers who would be assisting them. How can we assist the people who assist them? Um, and then, you know, I think going back to visual design, if people with mental disabilities um, have are able to see how are we incorporating, you know, their disability into the visual design that we can show them. Right, so sometimes they might not be able to read um, the text, but then if they are able to view it, if our images or our icons that we're using is intuitive, that would also help them um, understand and use our experiences.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing with us this uh, amazing knowledge, amazing understanding. It's really opening uh, like a an opening insight for all of us and i hope this is not the end like uh, this is like uh, just a a very big conversation because it's very important matters for all of us that uh, perhaps that uh, we don't really think about it before and uh yeah so for everyone here like um yeah if uh feel free to contact us or contact jane like if you have any further question and then uh, we we plan to post some of this, um, you know, like uh, some of the inside we got here, like a uh, li- bit by bit, like uh, because it's a big thing, and um, <laughs> in our, uh, you know, like uh, social media. So just stay in tune. And uh, thank you, Jen. Thank you again for everybody thank from you. around the world. And then see you again in two weeks' time. We have another meetup. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Vinny. Thank thanks, Dan. Thank
1: you. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.